All right, our chapter today is 1 Corinthians chapter 14. This is the conclusion, the concluding chapter of a series of chapters devoted to spiritual gifts and the orderly exercise of them in the church. And the present chapter mainly deals with two particular spiritual gifts, speaking in tongues and prophecy, and how those gifts should play out in an orderly church service. So let's briefly consider a couple of things here. Um, so let's think about speaking in tongues and prophecy. You know, we found a, a more extensive list of spiritual gifts back in chapter 12. Um, and then, like I said, this one particularly zeroes in on those two gifts, speaking in tongues and prophecy. Now, as you read this chapter, having read it, hopefully, you get the sense that there was some amount of controversy surrounding them, uh, which makes you understand why it should be no surprise that there's still <laughs> some amount of controversy surrounding them today. Um, as you look out across the evangelical church landscape, there's a large section of it where you find many claiming to speak in tongues and to prophesy with another large section of it saying that those things are almost entirely absent. Uh, many of those who don't practice these gifts believe that it has ceased altogether in the church while many of those who do um, uh, so, you know, practice them, um, say that speaking in tongues, uh, for example, is the necessary sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's, uh, that's the other end of the spectrum, and that's more, more of a Pentecostal-type uh, attitude toward them, not, not just that speaking in tongues is still a present reality, but that is, it's the necessary sign that you've been filled with the Spirit. I, don't, I think the, trump, the truth somewhere may be uh, somewhere in between. Um, I, for one, don't believe that these gifts are as prevalent as many claim in the church today. I would I'd refer you back to what we said in the podcast on Acts chapter 2 for a more detailed explanation of this, but suffice it to say that these two sign gifts uh, in particular, speaking in tongues and prophecy during the first century church, seem to be, to be more prominent and necessary in that day than they would be today. And I said in our comments on Acts 2 that speaking in tongues was more of a miraculous type of sign gift that was for the purpose of gathering attention for the message of the gospel that was breaking into the world. Also, I believe that prophecy was in existence in the first century, mainly until the full written revelation of God uh, was complete in the New Testament. In the Bible, prophecy is always revelatory. And, and, and now we believe that the revelation of God is complete in Jesus Christ and in the Bible. For those reasons, I, I personally believe that speaking in tongues uh, perhaps can and probably does still exist today, especially in missionary contexts, but it's not anywhere near as prevalent today as it was in the first century. Furthermore, because prophecy in the Bible was always revelatory and any time it wasn't, it, it was a sign that it wasn't from the Lord. I mean, that was precisely how you, uh, that's precisely how you determined whether someone was a false prophet or not, was did the, did the prophecy uh, come to pass? Um, I, I personally don't believe that this gift is still around, again, because Revelation is now complete in the Bible. Um, there, there's a lot more to say on this, and, and I'm certainly... Uh, sympathetic to people who disagree with the position I take on this, but I don't. I don't expect to have exhaustive 
and uh, inerrant knowledge of the scriptures. I would recommend one uh, book to you that is that was extremely helpful to my thinking on this. Uh, it was recently recently published. Uh, well, it was just published last year, 2018, uh, and I, I I made I quoted something from uh, him uh, just a couple of days ago. It was from Tom Schreiner. Uh, Thomas R. Schreiner, who teaches at Southern Seminary, and he's written a book that came out last year, uh, Spiritual Gifts, What They Are, and Why They Matter. And, and while he's going to talk about many gifts, he's gonna, he, he focuses heavily in that on the two gifts of prophecy and uh, tongues. And he is written in such an ironic uh, spirit. Uh, it's, 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 it's the kind of conversation on this issue it shows you not only how to think about it, but how we ought to talk about it with each other. Uh, and it's only 12 bucks on Amazon. So um, Spiritual Gifts, What They Are and Why They Matter by Thomas Schreiner. It's published by Brahman and Holman, um, the publishing arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, so I just recommend that book to you. Um, but again, no matter where you fall on, on what this chapter is saying about those two issues, the, the, the chapter is intending to teach a valuable lesson on maintaining order in the worship service of the church. There's not to be chaos and everything that is done is to be done for the benefit and the building up of the people of God. Now let me just say, address one more issue um, and just give you my take on a verse in this chapter that I often hear people taking um, issue with. And... Uh, they may not know anything else that 1 Corinthians 14 talks about, but they sure, as the world, know that verse 34 says the, that women should keep silent in the churches. <laughs> and verse 35 says it is shameful for women to speak in the church. And a lot of people conclude that Paul was just a sexist and misogynistic man, just a man of his times. Um, but, you know, is, is that a fair conclusion? Is that a conclusion that is, that is reached reasonably by exhausting every other possible interpretation only to find them all unsatisfactory How, is there any other way we might understand what paul is saying here such that we do not conclude that these were just sexist and misogynistic comments well let me lay out for you how i see these verses in their context and think through it carefully with me agree or disagree but uh i think it's a way of thinking about them and understanding them that can uh, be a more helpful way of thinking about them. The key verse here to me is verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. That's verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. That's the, the driving thought for all the verses that follow. It breaks down into two basic parts. A, let two or three prophets speak. And B, let the others weigh what is said. What Paul does in the verses that follow um, is to elaborate on each of those statements, A and B. In verses 30 through the first part of verse 33, so from verses 30 through 33A, Paul elaborates on part A of verse 29, let two or three prophets speak. And there he offers guidelines on how that is to happen. How is it to play out that uh, two, two or three prophets speak? So, for example, in verse 30, he says, 
He tells those two or three prophets to prophesy one by one. Don't all talk at the same time, he says. His basis for that, he says in verse 33, is that God is not a God of confusion. So while two or three may prophesy, do it one at a time and not all at once. That's his elaboration on uh, part A of verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak. And then in verses 33b, or the second half of verse 33, through verse 35, Paul elaborates on part B of verse 29. Let others weigh what is said. And there he offers guidelines on how that has happened. How it's to happen. And it's in this part, it's in this aspect, that Paul prohibits the participation of women. It is in this aspect, that is, the weighing of prophecies. Let others weigh what is said. The weighing of prophecies that he says that women are to be silent in verses 34 and 35. This is because the weighing of the prophecies would include the teaching and expounding of the scriptures to the congregation, a responsibility which God has left to the men of the church, a responsibility, I might add, which is shamefully neglected by many men in the church today. But let me emphasize further that it seems that when Paul says women should keep silent in the churches, that, that it is in specific reference to the weighing of prophecies, and here are some more reasons to accept that interpretation. Remember that just a few chapters earlier in chapter 11, Paul there seemed to have no problem with and permitting women to prophesy and pray in that church service. 1 Corinthians 11 verses 5 and 13 with the stipulation that they do it with their head covered. Also, when Peter stood up to preach on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, he quoted the prophet Joel who said on that day, quote, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. In Acts 21.9, we encounter someone named uh, Philip the Evangelist who, what are we told about him? He, he, quote, had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And finally, when the Lord Jesus was born, we're told of a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, who, when she saw Jesus, says in Luke 2, began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So in the end, I highly doubt that Paul was intending that women should remain silent in any and all circumstances in the church when there are numerous accounts of women prophets in the Bible and he himself permits women to pray and prophesy just three chapters earlier. And those are just a few thoughts of some important uh, uh, issues in 1 Corinthians 14. There is more to be said about each of those, but that's a beginning point for all of us.